Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Michael Torres. He's the deputy editor of Real Clear Pennsylvania, where he writes about education policy, politics, and other matters in the Keystone State. He's been writing regularly for City Journal on all things Pennsylvania, and his work has also appeared in National Review and Newsweek. Uh, today, we're going to discuss his recent writing on K-12 education in Pennsylvania and in the country at large. So, so Michael, thanks very much for coming on 10 Block. Thank you very much for having me, Brian. Um, so across the country, public school districts are putting in place policies that require faculty and staff members to conceal students' gender uh, transitions or gender questioning from their parents. These secrecy policies, I guess you could call them, enable school employees to basically facilitate student gender transitions by using in the classroom or in personal exchanges with the students their preferred pronouns and helping them seek transgender medical uh, consultation and treatment. All of this, I, I gather, without their parents' knowledge or consent. So, you know, first off, how widespread, in your view, are these policies, and how would they differ from a traditional public school approach to parental notification? So they um, have spread very widely across the country very quickly. Uh, according to Parents Defending Education, the Parental uh, Rights Group, they put together a list of more than... Um, school districts across, across the country that comprise more than 10 million children. So almost all major cities, most major suburban school districts, you'll find policies like this that require uh, teachers or administrators to withhold this information from parents. Um, and the policies are strikingly different from traditional uh, policies that require um, the information, medical or otherwise, to be given to parents. Um, and that is something that I was very interested in looking at with this article to try and understand exactly how they were justifying such a striking uh, contrast in approach to how uh, school districts usually act as a facilitator of information between parents and teachers with regard to how their children are doing in school. So the, uh, the district, school districts, are relying on particular legal theories to justify the secrecy policies. So among these theories are, are you know, the notion that students have a right to privacy from their parents, that the Constitution's 14th Amendment uh, establishes basically the children's right to transition without their parents' permission, and that under Title IX, revealing a student's gender transition can constitute a form of harassment. These theories, and you would have to say they're very recent theories, are pushed by activist organizations and are premised on the position that parents harm their children by refusing to affirm their gender transitions. So in your view, you know, do these theories have any kind of real legal grounding? To be frank, they do not. Uh, organizations like the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network, ACLU, uh, Education Law Center uh, is one that I looked at in Pennsylvania. They're all pushing similar theories, and you'll find um, boilerplate wording put together by GLSEN, the Gay, Lesbian, and Street Education Network, in most of the policies that you look at in school districts. Of, of the school districts I sampled from Parents Defending Education 
list, almost all of them had very similar language that say that a child has a right to privacy, indicating that that right to privacy uh, also uh, is from parents, not from strangers, uh, who usually do not have a right to any information about the child at school. Um, but perhaps the most striking legal theory is uh, about Title IX. Um, the basis, the, the reasoning of that, uh, that legal theory comes from the idea that parents are essentially guilty until proven innocent. If a child comes to a teacher or an administrator and says that they want to transition genders and the school district has this policy, it's, it requires the teacher or administrator to assume that the parent is dangerous to the child until the child says otherwise, or oftentimes until the parent proves that they are willing to be uh, affirmative of what the child wants unquestioningly. Um, until that point, they will not uh, often not even speak to the parent. The, the relationship becomes directly between the administrator or the teacher and the parent. And as I spoke to uh, attorneys about these, these theories, essentially what I've come to understand is that there are no legal cases that have been uh, come through the courts that justify any of this um, with regard to uh, a child's right to privacy. Um, a lot of that comes based off of a, uh, a law called FERPA, the Family Education Rights and Privacy Act. But that law was enacted by Congress for the express purpose of ensuring that parents have a, uh, access to information about their child, not that school districts have a right to withhold information about a child from parents. Um, instead, school districts are, are skirting the edge of that legislation to try and create secondary, almost clandestine um, documentation strategies to hide information from parents, blatantly flouting the purpose of that law. And with regard to Title IX, no uh, court in the country and the law itself plainly does not allow for uh, information being withheld from parents. And we can go deeper into that if you'd like. Well, I'm kind of curious, though. You, you, you've been speaking to parents. There, there must be a really growing pushback about this because uh, most parents would be outraged to discover uh, these policies applied in the case of their particular child. Yes, of course. And uh, I'm actually in the process of working on a story right now about parents in uh, in Seattle, a Seattle area school district in which a child, a fifth grader's gender transition was withheld from the parents and the immense consequences that had on the child, the family, and the entire school district. And I'm sure listeners have heard or seen or read about stories across the country where families are um, outraged to find out what uh, is happening to their children. One story that I included in my article in Study Journal about this uh, had to happen in Dover, Pennsylvania, where a mother found out that the school had been referring to her daughter at, with male pronouns for more than a year without her knowledge. And when she went to a school board meeting um, and protested and asked why this was happening, the school board directors said, well, we can't. Uh, it's illegal for us to tell you about this sort of thing. Um, directly referencing these laws in which we've been talking about, um, none of which is true. There is no law requiring them to withhold this information. Um, and that mother, uh, I believe, has taken it to court. Yeah, I, I can imagine some some lawsuits uh, of this uh, shaking things up uh, because it really is outrageous. I wonder if we could uh, shift gears uh, for a minute and look at the broader a question of school choice in Pennsylvania. Um, earlier this year, uh, the state's governor, Democrat, 
uh, Josh Shapiro and Republicans in the state Senate, and we wrote about this, negotiated a budget deal that would have introduced K through 12 education vouchers. The, the, you know, this program would have uh, enabled you know, more than 10,000 students who are currently attending public schools ranked in the bottom 15% statewide to transfer uh, to private schools using public funds. And uh, it would not have resulted in any reduced funding for public schools. So Shapiro promised initially to expand school choice during his, his gubernatorial campaign last year, and he repeatedly affirmed his support of the voucher program throughout the negotiation process, yet he vetoed it in the final budget. Um, you know, was this seen as a real betrayal, and, and uh, why did he reverse course? I believe it was definitely seen as a real betrayal, uh, especially by Senate Republicans, the the statements they've made and, and the way they've acted since the uh, announcement that he would veto the vouchers um, underscores a, a true and, and deep feeling of um, being double-crossed. Um, some of the, the leaders in the Pennsylvania Senate, uh, Republican leaders there, um, discussed with media across the state how they came to an agreement with the governor, uh, how he promised to get the state house, which has a one-seat Democrat majority, behind the agreement. And at the last moment, uh, he changed his mind. Um, and now Republicans are using technical means to keep the negotiations going by delaying uh, follow-on legislation to enact the budget further. But there is a very deep, deep sense of betrayal that is going to persist throughout the rest of the Shapiro administration. And it's going to test the strength of each side of the um, each party in the state significantly as the debate goes on. I mean, what, what do you think the likelihood is right now of any kind of voucher program uh, being passed in Pennsylvania? To be honest, I think it's very low. Um, he, Governor Shapiro has expressed vocal support for vouchers several times. He even went on Fox News to talk about how he supports it. However, that support has always been very qualified. He's always made sure to say that as long as it doesn't take away from public schools. But when it came down to it and when the negotiations were happening, uh, and the final days uh, of budget negotiations came, that uh, vocal support did not turn into real uh, real support with teeth when it comes to telling fellow Democrats to change their votes from a no to a yes. Um, I don't see that changing any time in the future, especially as he has eyes on bigger offices beyond Harrisburg. Um, people across the country, people watching politics, see Governor Shapiro as a likely candidate for president in the coming years. Uh, and so having unions as an enemy is not something that he's likely to, um, to see as a, something to, uh, deal with going into a Democrat primary. No one wants to have the teachers unions against them and being the governor who for the first time ever enacts vouchers in Pennsylvania will make teachers unions his enemy. Right. For sure. Um, now most state education departments have adopted some form of what is called culturally responsive teaching. This is a pedagogy that requires teachers to ensure um, you know, that their, their material, teaching material, and, and the way they conduct their classes um, are culturally relevant. So last year, Pennsylvania introduced uh, particularly drastic guidelines that include speech and belief requirements, and parents and teachers in several counties counties in Pennsylvania are suing the state's Department of Education 
charging that these guidelines violate um, federal and state civil rights guarantees. So I wonder if you could give us a you know a brief sketch of what those Pennsylvania guidelines look like and why so many people have been uh, upset by them on the grounds of free speech and quality education. Yes, the culturally relevant pedagogy, often called the other CRT by academics, is something that's spread across the country in recent years as well. It's been enacted by many um, state boards of education. And in Pennsylvania, the State Board of Education um, made a sort of sly maneuver in which they required that teachers be trained in culturally relevant teaching, um, whether it's uh, on-the-job training uh, or in graduate school. But they didn't define what that meant. Um, They left it to a host of academics uh, who gathered together to create the guidelines, the, the training guidelines for teachers. And what they came up with uh, was quite striking. Um, The guidelines often dictate what teachers are able to believe. They must believe that the education system is home to bias. And it tells them that they must disrupt that bias, essentially creating an internal protest movement uh, through training, uh, requiring teachers to act that way. Um, it tells them that they must believe and acknowledge that microaggressions are real. It doesn't define what microaggressions are or allude to the very faulty academic research behind those sort of things. And it also tells them to be aware of their unconscious bias, essentially telling them that you have no choice but to understand that you are a biased person towards your students uh, and that they must accept their guilt. Um, this obviously uh, resulted in a, a swift um, lawsuit taken up by several school districts after these guidelines became public um, as uh, obviously they violate violate First Amendment rights, uh, but more fundamentally, they uh, are a big attack on the way in which students and teachers and school districts operate, the way they train, and the way that they uh, see the relationship between a student and a teacher, rather than being one of, of education, quite frankly, to being one of activism. Uh, and social justice, uh, which many parents and even people who work in school districts find distasteful. What can parents do in Pennsylvania to resist this kind of ideological infiltration? I I mean, the best option would be to join the lawsuit. There's several districts that have joined it, at least three or four now. Um, But more important than that is understanding that it's happening in the first place. I don't think that most parents have any idea what their teachers are being taught to, to um, how they're being trained to come into the school, uh, especially young teachers. Um, this theory comes from a critical theorist named Gloria Lanson Billings. It has a long history and it's really gone under the radar for quite some time as it's spread across the country. Um, another thing that they need to do is contact their legislators because this was um, something that was allowed with a Republican majority in the state house and state Senate. Uh, couple of years ago. So it, it's very much gone under the radar as people just plainly don't understand what it means. Culturally relevant pedagogy is not something that's either understandable or self-defining. You have to take the time to, to really see what they're training teachers to do to understand how frightening it is. Thank you, uh, Michael, for the overview of what's going on in Pennsylvania, most of it troubling from your description. Don't forget to check out Michael Torres' work on the City Journal website, 
www.city-journal.org. He's been covering uh, the education beat in Pennsylvania for, for us and for Real Clear Politics. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Mind of Torres, and we'll link to his author page in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. If you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please leave us a ratings on iTunes. Michael, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you, Brian. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests. 